Hey, Print Hustlers, welcome back to another episode of Printavo's Print Hustlers podcast. Really excited. I'm Bruce from Printavo. We've got Stephen Ferry from Campus Inc. And we've got a very special guest here today, Eric Solomon out of hey, Night Owl. Hey, Eric, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing today? Good, good, good. You are our first um, guest in our new live space that we made about 15 minutes ago. Do you want to just tell uh, the audience what you just witnessed? Well, this is my uh, my first time recording for a podcast, so it looks like you guys are seasoned professionals to me. That's what I saw. Uh, everything was, was humming as soon as I came in to this video chat. So uh, yeah, good job, everybody. <laughs> Thanks. We worked really hard to try and make this work. Uh, if you know how to set up a podcast or a live space, please email um, info at printavo.com, ccbruce at printavo.com um, for all music, uh, X music uh, screen printers. We need some help. So um, I heard that uh, that you guys were giving away Teslas. So I feel like that's probably like a pretty good uh, trade. Someone can help you set up the studio better for, for a Tesla. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why Justin had to repost that, but... He, he wanted to try it out. He was interested in seeing what the car was like because he's looking at one too. Something about automating his uh, pickups or deliveries to his customers. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Eric. You were actually just telling us about what you guys are doing to help just get ready for the week, was it? Yeah, I mean, we pretty much, I don't, I don't know, for, for any major holiday we'll have off, but otherwise it's the type of thing where it's like, it's, it's business as usual. So. Uh, our staff is here. Um, it's you know going to be a slower customer service day. There's not really going to be a ton of orders coming in or a lot of phone calls or pickups today. So a lot of days like these slower holidays are spent sort of cleaning up the shop or um, you know we call it recalibrating or uh, another way to put it is just like cleaning stuff up essentially. That's uh, that's the best way to describe it. Uh, so. Uh, I mean, we have a light production day, only one one of two uh, presses is running, and we're just sort of getting things prepped for a, a busy week that we're going to have, uh, as well as in other departments, like in a fulfillment department, we're getting it reorganized and cleaned up for some really large projects that we have launching next week. Gotcha. So Eric, for, for people that don't know you, give us your, your background. Um, tell us a little bit about Night Owl, your shop, things you would normally tell people in a trade show when they ask, when they try to size you up. Sure. Uh, so uh, my wife and I run a company called Night Owls in Houston, and we are just a little bit over 10 years old. We primarily focus on music merchandise, entertainment merchandise, and brick and mortar businesses. Um, we like to call ourselves a merchandise logistics company. Um, we're often trying to help our customers figure out how to get things either made or get them to where they need to go in a specific time frame. And as our business matures and grows, we started realizing that there's so much more than just, you know, printed ink on t-shirts. So we're really focusing, uh, especially lately, uh, on a lot more of the other aspects that go into the project as a whole, as opposed to just printing. So that's where we've been transitioning and refocusing what we do lately. But in terms of screen printing, um, we are a 100% water-based print shop. We've been that way for about two years. I don't really think that we're anything special. Um, we just really are adamant on not giving up, especially when there's a product or a project that we wanna figure out how to do. We really spend a lot of time figuring out how to make it work. 
Cool. So like the merchandise logistics side, you said some interesting things there. What all goes into that? Could you give us an example of like, you know, uh, a, a client that comes to you, give us the full suite of, you know, what you might do for them. One of the things that I think is, has been really successful in our shop, especially during these insane COVID times where it's really been uncertain for a lot of shops as to what's going on is the fulfillment aspect of, of our business. Uh, we've been doing it for about five years and really in the past three years, we've got really, really into it and it's become a major force in our business. So when, when we say merchandise logistics, we're talking about making sure that we not only have products uh, that we can send out to our customers, but products that we can send out to our customers' customers and really focusing on, on kind of the I guess the end goal in terms of making sure that the products that we're making and the services that we're offering are making our customers, customers want to come back. Um, you know, it's been said by a lot of people, but really for us, a big goal is making sure that uh, we're making our customers, customers' favorite t-shirt uh, and, and providing them with that experience. Wow. It's interesting. I, I remember going to see you guys because I had to go to TSE Apparel yeah. Being there years ago. Maybe, what was that, like three, four years? It's probably four years ago. So we've been in this what? building about three years. Yeah, it, it was a while ago. And you were in a, like a, a barn. Kind of. So Houston is really unique in the fact that there, for the majority of the city, there's no zoning laws. So you can sort of build whatever you want, wherever you want. And, uh, and we had stumbled across this property that a, I guess like he was a carpenter or a furniture builder. He, mm -hmm. he had built this house and then behind it, he had built a 4,500 square foot warehouse and then another 4,500 square foot warehouse behind him. So we found this uh, and our previous, uh, like we found this building and the person we were renting it from, he had bought it at an auction at a short sale uh, because it had gone through like a myriad of crazy, crazy people running nefarious businesses there and uh and we found it and you know being young like punk rock kids like it was perfect for us we we lived in the house we worked in the warehouse and you know by the time we we moved in there in 2010 when we moved in it was my wife and i uh and we had a partner in the business who since left and so it was us three for the first year then we hired our first employee a year after that this is right when Night Owl started. Um, sure. So like a year in, there was, you know, officially four employees. Um, and then by the time that we left in 2017, I think that we had like 15 or 16 people working there. And by the time that we left, both warehouses were falling apart. Um, I mean, literally the warehouses were built with no code. There was three phase wire, like literally stapled to trees outside of the warehouse so it was like perfect for a, a booming uh a booming business um and by the time that we left like not nothing that we had really done just like age and and the owner of the property didn't really do too much to like kind of keep up with anything but like it was falling apart i mean uh, it was on a septic tank system which was like not ideal for screen printing chemicals and things like that right, right. And, uh, just like the buildings itself were, were in kind of disarray and for the amount of people, the amount of deliveries that we had, the property was like off of a two lane road that like on any given day just had like, I don't know, 
four or 500 cars zooming by. And, and so like if we get like an 18 wheeler, we would hold up traffic for, you know, an hour and a half while we're trying to unload stuff. I remember that because I drove in and all of a sudden I was in a neighborhood. Yeah. And I was like, uh, I, I got it. I probably have the address wrong. <laughs> and then it was like a house. And then the back was the, the like warehouse area. And in the back though of that was where you guys were doing the fulfillment. Because so, yeah. you were doing, you've been doing the fulfillment for a while, and it just wasn't shirts. I remember too, right? It was like, uh, late, like everything for the band. Yeah, I mean, we we work with now three different record labels, so mm-hmm. we're not only doing shirts, but we're doing like vinyl records, cassettes, uh, yard signs, posters. Uh, some of our clients had like seat cushions made. So I mean, like it's all sorts of just like weird stuff. One of the stores that we're launching next week, they're selling hot sauce. Um, so that's been like a, a new challenge for us is, you know, how do, how do you like folding and bagging a shirt? So it safely arrives. That's easy. But like, how do you properly handle uh, a bottle of hot sauce or sure. a mug so that it doesn't break when it, it's in the mail? Wow. So how did you, what, what pushed you to want to really vertically integrate like that so early? Did, was it just a natural thing because they were offering to pay for you to do it or yeah so before we started night owls my wife and i had a, another company that was very much the same thing i mean we printed shirts we threw like diy shows in our warehouse and in other places like around town and all this kind of stemmed from my wife and i being in touring bands being friends with touring bands and just meeting people you know from doing that and so we had this like network that we had customers and they were on tour all the time and they needed help. So in our previous company, um, we did same sort of thing. Like, are, are you guys familiar with Matt and Kim at all? Did that band Matt and no, Kim? No. They are a, a huge pop sensation uh, now, but when we knew them, they were just our kids from Brooklyn. And so they asked us to run their store. And so we were, we were doing it for a while. And then they got bigger and bigger and their management pulled them from us, went to another company and we were like, you know what, we don't really want to do this anymore. So we stopped doing fulfillment. Then that company closed, Night Owl started, and we still weren't comfortable for, for quite a long time. And finally, one of our friends was on tour all the time and said, like, I really need help doing this. Instead of me paying for shipping goods to, you know, my house where they just sit there when I'm on tour, can you guys just set up a store for me? And that really sort of like pushed us back into it. And pretty much within a matter of months from doing that for him, I think we have like about seven or eight different clients. They're all pretty small, um, but it, it escalated pretty quickly. Wow. So when do you draw the line? Like, obviously, you guys aren't manufacturing hot sauce, right? Sure. At least I don't think so. But like, are customers allowed to say like, hey, we want you to hold these on our shelves and ship them whenever people order them? Like, where do you draw the line if it's like something big, small, fragile, like... Yeah, I mean, scary. All, all these things are things that we're trying to figure out. I mean, it's um, it's definitely been a really big evolution. We moved into our current warehouse about three years ago, um, and fulfillment was the first thing that we moved in. Uh, and that moved in or occupies like a space that's about 3,500 square feet. And that is, you know, from day one, it was already like too small. And so we're constantly having to reorganize and move things around and shuffle things around and figure out better ways, especially as we bring on more stores or we have customers that um, 
you know, are launching new products that like, let's say we have a project launching next week that is anticipating selling anywhere from 3000 to 5,000 copies of a double LP vinyl. Now, when there's 500 copies of an LP, that's a single pallet. That's probably five feet high, maybe three or four feet deep. Um, so, you know, now we got to figure out when those come in, where do we put them? How do we store them? Vinyl is uh, climate sensitive. So like, can't have it out in a hot warehouse. It needs to be in a climate controlled area. And so it's all these things that, that we are learning to work with. And it's, like I mentioned earlier, it's really like shifting our focus a little bit to where we're, we're starting to understand that like screen printing and, and production in that aspect is really like, we're really thankful to have that work, but the future of our business is going to be fulfillment. And we have to start thinking that way uh, in order to make it so we can grow that department because there's so much growth. And if I think if really, if COVID has sort of taught us anything is that like, there's so much room for improvement and so much room for growth in that specific feature of our business. Whereas like with screen printing, I mean, there's a million people that that screen print. I mean, down the block from us, in, in any direction, I can name three or four different shops uh, within a mile from us. So wow. having that specific feature, as well as like kind of, you know, the connections that we have, the, the quality of product that we put out, all of it, you know, married together, uh, nets us some pretty cool stuff. So like, obviously, uh, we know you're using the secret version of Printavo that manages all of this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but let's talk about the tech that you're using. Like, do you have a whole team that's working on it? Talk about like the, the programs you're using. Like, I'm sure people are like, well, how do you even start to fathom running someone's store? Yeah, it's so hard. I mean, we've been flying by the seat of our pants pretty much since, since we started. And I think really within the past two months is, is when we, we sat down and said like, look, like, we're having a lot of problems. There's a lot of issues. We've had personnel issues. There's time issues, stock issues, like where are things, can't find them, et cetera. So we've really kind of dived in the past two months trying to figure out better solutions. One piece of software that, that we use, well, there's, there's three pieces actually, but um, ShipStation is like our centralized hub for everything. Uh, that is, Right now, like that's like what we feed all of our orders into. ShipStation's great. It, it does have some of its like own limitations. I feel like it's definitely like an economy type of software, um, but it's really good for us right now. Uh, so that's that's the centralized piece. And then whenever we set up stores, we really like setting up stores in Shopify. Although there's like, you guys know, there's a million different e-commerce platforms out there. Uh, I just like Shopify because it's like so customizable and there's so many like different add-ons you can you can put in for different stores that have different requirements um and a third piece of software which we just got maybe three weeks ago is a, a software called bartender and it helps you create databases uh and then from those databases you can create barcodes and SKUs. Hmm. uh and it's like so say like i'm working on a project right now for a store that has uh 3, unique SKUs, and with Bartender, once I build the database correctly, I can just dynamically put information into my label and then it pulls all the information from the database and it makes a new label whenever I click to the next one like instantaneously. So wow. it's been like 
yeah, really, really powerful. How do you price all of this stuff? Pricing correctly on custom garments is already hard enough, but like the warehousing, the fulfilling, the shipping, how long you're keeping this stuff, uh, yeah. you know, managing the stores, all that. Uh, and again, so I mean, even though we've been doing this for five years, I, I still, I, I feel like we don't know what we're doing and we're, we're figuring it out and we're struggling through it and making breakthroughs. We decided pretty early on uh, under Night Owls with us doing fulfillment that it wasn't worth our time, meaning we didn't have the proper people um, to be like, I hate to say it this way, but like nickel and diming our customers. So instead of breaking everything down, like a traditional 3PL solution would, which would be like, you know, you have a fee for every little thing. Uh, if you have X amount of SKUs, you have a fee. Uh, there's a fee for storage on this shelf. There's a fee for picking them. There's a fee for packing them. All, all these little things that, that just get added uh, to the service that you're paying them to do. We just took a step back and said like, again, our team is small. It's grown in the past couple of months because we're pushing that way. Um, but you know, for a long time, it was like three people running 25 different stores. And we didn't have enough time to sit there and calculate, okay, how much space is this store taking up? How much time did it take for us to like pull these items? How much time did it take for us to like set up this, this product page? So we went and we said, you know what? We're gonna just charge a flat percentage fee uh, for, for basic service. And there's like, there's different scales in terms of like how, how much we're involved or how complicated a, a release or a project is. Um, but we pretty much just charge a percentage that's based off of the total sale from that customer store. So if our customers sell in a month $10,000, you know, and we're going to take 10% of that, that's $1,000 of that. Uh, and that's going to cover storage fees, picking and packing, um, standard mailing supplies. So, uh, you know, nine by 11 mailers, LP mailers. Wow, so it's really simplified that way then, huh? Yes, yeah, well, I mean, as you guys know, the more complicated you make things, it's just like the harder it is for everyone. And if you have a very, very crazy system of charging, uh, then like you need someone that is going to be on top of all of that, keeping track of all of it. And, and really for us, it was just a matter of us like not having people and almost like being lazy uh, because like the amount of effort and time it takes to sort of calculate all that stuff. Wow. Really complicated. I think you said something earlier, Eric, about like you're taking care of your customers' customers, right? And I think that's something to uh, highlight, but it's also like something you might be a little scared about because if you mess that up, for sure, then you're so. So is it less about for your customers? Is it less about price and more of like how is this going to be such a good solution that my customers' customers don't feel anything or you know, like yeah, when, when, so. when you're pitching this, yeah. It's, it's like a marriage of, of sort of all that stuff because I mean, a lot of the stores that we run are entertainment or whether it's like music uh, or I mean, we're doing a, a couple of podcasts and stuff now too. So it's more convenient for our customers to have us print everything and move it 15 feet to its final home and then have it get shipped out instead of some of these people having it shipped to them and then them having to focus on, you know, organization, packing, bringing stuff to the post office. Um, it's, it's sort of like Bruce, what, what you guys talk about all the time, you know, it's just making it simpler for people. And if we can be that solution where our customers can focus on 
what they need to be focusing on, whether it's writing music or being on tour or growing their brand or selling. Let them do that and let us do the background stuff. That's that's sort of where we've wedged ourselves in with a lot of them. Yeah. So then do you do some like print on demand, Eric, or do they like do they tell you what runs they want to put in inventory? Like how do you do that comfortable balance? Because we've started doing Shopify fulfillment for some big brands and we've been doing some print on demand, some like inventory. How do you how do you decide what risks to take or do you put that all on the customer? Yeah, I mean that's on the customer. Um, and, and really like print on demand, we're not ready for it yet. We're trying to gear up our business for that. Um, and, and like we're, I, our, our game plan is like within two years to sort of have a plan for that. Or not, I don't mean to say it that way, but to start moving into that world. Um, but when it comes to print on demand, we will talk with our customers and, and more or less they'll just do pre-orders and figure out what they want. And then we usually recommend that they buffer, you know, by 5% or 10%, just because like there are variables that even we can't control. Like if there's a hole in a shirt and, you know, uh, Bella Canvas is out of stock in a 3XL black shirt, you know, that's it's like- not a problem right now. Right, right. And, and so, uh, and, and that's the other thing about all, all the film and stuff that we're doing too, is that like the, the growth of COVID has been really exciting, but there's so many more complications with it as well, whether it be, on the production side uh, or the like the shipping side. I mean, uh, even you asked earlier about, you know, our customers' customers and what happens when things go wrong. Well, like every day we probably get anywhere from 15 to let's say 50 emails from people saying like, where's my order? It hasn't updated. And it's like, well, like, uh, you know, unfortunately, like I can tell you it shipped from our warehouse, but that's, that's the extent that I can tell you. And uh, yeah, it's it's really tricky. And then what happens too is that those customers then start complaining to our customers and then they start getting upset with us. And it's just this whole cycle of like, we can be as proactive as we want, but ultimately, you know, that, that squeaky wheel is gonna keep getting louder and louder and louder. And when it comes to shipping stuff, like there's nothing we can really do. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. Have you hired somebody just to handle that customer service side for the end customer? That's kind of baked into that percentage or because I, yeah. I mean, shops have this question all the time. Steven, you show me your questions. I feel like part of it, though, is because customers have such an expectation of it should ship within that day because of Amazon and everything else that they buy now. And then part of it is just like it's harder as a small business to really give really good communication back um, to, to let them know where it is. And then, of course, the other part is just USPS is uh, yeah. a little bit yeah. funky right now. And I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, too, like with with our business, we, we had one. We've had two people sort of at the helm of fulfillment. Um, and that first person left in about 2017. He, he left the company and got a state. And then the person that was uh, handling it afterwards, he left the company at the end of June. Uh, he actually mm -hmm. left to go focus on his own uh, clothing brand. I'll give him a shout out, Super Yaki. Uh, they are killing it in the movie merch game, uh, which has been kind of insane. They are our, uh, our number one customer and that's like not a joke. Uh, so uh, yeah, that's been cool. But he left and you know we struggled Based, based off of exactly what you said, Bruce, like Andrew, who was running it, was handling everything. He was handling 
the uh, the team that was picking and packing. He was handling the sorting of orders, the ingestion of orders, customer service, customer, customer service. Like he was doing it all. And we realized towards the end of his run that that was like not sustainable for us to grow and that we really needed it to be two separate defined roles. So we had a fulfillment operations manager role made and a fulfillment customer service role made. So the customer service role and the operations manager, they work hand in hand, but handling two different sides of, of the operation. And even that proved to be tricky because like when, when Andrew left, uh, he was handling all that stuff mentioned before. We had all these plans in place, but he left in the middle of COVID and the person that was supposed to be like taking over, had a COVID scare and had to leave. And all of a sudden, like all of our plans were thrown up. Yeah. And, and, and on top of that, like we had big projects launching, USPS had like, you know, everything was just sort of like, we don't know what's happening. Uh, and really we were stuck in that position that you, you guys talk about constantly where all of a sudden our, you know, our golden goose of, of a, of a department is falling apart because no one actually knows what's happening because the one person who knew what was going on doesn't work for the company. So all that tribal knowledge that was in his head wasn't mm-hmm. bad. And, uh, and so we had to like, we had to pivot very, very quickly because we have a lot of people relying on us and fulfillment is a huge, huge, huge part of our business now. So much so that like it affects production because like, you know, fulfillment is constantly, Throwing new orders to production, and sure. so we actually really pivot and figure out. What did out. you do? Uh, I mean, we we buckled down and basically like I allocated myself to the de- that department. I I haven't really set foot or really paid attention to like our production in probably two or three months. My wife sort of took over that, uh, and we had to more or less like rebuild our company um, in two months to make sure that this one area did not fail. Yeah. So, yeah. It's pretty crazy. That's uh, so like your time, like as an owner of the business, it's like you're evolving to different like energy levels of, of being able to give the bandwidth that you need to give. How do you wake up every morning and say like, I have to do this. Everyone wants to talk to you every day and, and all that stuff. But like sure. as your business grew and you've moved into the spot, how do you then like mentally process it all? ignore things trust people like that's something i struggle with daily (laughs) (laughs) yeah because like that 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 that's the only way you grow but like how do you do that yeah i i um you know when when we started facing all these issues and started seeing that there was all these problems it it was just very much like it, it kind of boiled down to like life or death if i mean if this department fails you know our top five biggest customers are all in that department. Uh, and so like, if that fails and they leave us, then like, we're in big, big trouble. So it was sort of like, I didn't really have a choice. Um, but to sort of answer your question, like when I wake up in the morning, like, I like what I do. I like what I do a lot. It's, it's you know, uh, I definitely suffer from being a workaholic, but it's like, my work is my hobby. And uh, it provides me so much like, uh, enlightenment and entertainment. It really gave me like a craft to like sort of grow. And I'm, I'm excited by all these things that are changing because like, again, we're pivoting our business. Like so many have had to do in the past couple months, but like we're pivoting for a completely different reason. And it's really like giving me 
more education and kind of giving me more, um, I guess, insight into all the other departments in the shop and sort of like how they need to flow together a little bit better. So it's like a really good, um, I guess, like teaching or growing moment for us. Yeah. There's the back up against the wall right there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, yeah, uh, there's, a, there's a giant whiteboard on the other side of the wall. You guys can see you. Uh, this whole time with COVID, our business has been thriving. We have not slowed down at all, which has been kind of- You were you set up. Like yeah. the companies that I see that are doing very well, and, and uh, Rock had a really good podcast about this with, uh, that it was Ryan Ross, their CFO, and they were talking about data analytics in your shop. And then they were also talking about where a shop's growing. And the more higher margin items are vertically integrated, which yeah. is you are set up for it just from doing what you're passionate about and your background in music and all of that, which is incredible. I mean, was the growth just crazy then through April, May, June, or what? April, like March and April were like a little slow just because like no one really knew what was going to happen and then April and Houston, uh, there was like a shelter in place. So technically, you know, we, we were closed, although since my wife and I own the business and we own our building, I mean, we were still coming in and knocking stuff out. So things weren't like going crazy, but um, I mean, we were still doing really complicated orders, which is like, I guess, becoming more and more what we're known for, which is pretty cool. On production, we were doing that. In fulfillment, we sort of didn't really have a plan because we didn't know what we could or couldn't legally do um, in terms of having employees come in. And our customers were all pretty, pretty understanding. I mean, there's nothing they could really do. You know what I mean? They're, it's it's oh, not really? like we were just saying, hey, we're not going to ship out your packages. Um, it was like, we, we can't. Um, and so we pretty much took April really slow and, and sort of reassessed. And at the end of April, we started having a couple people come back and, and sort of like, just help us kind of figure out the plan moving forward. And, uh, and and once we did that, and once we were able to start getting fulfillment packages out the door, things just sort of exploded. All of our fulfillment clients were just like through the roof with sales. A lot of our customers that are like brands that we work with, we're seeing holiday level sales in the middle of the year. Uh, and although they've started to dive a little bit, they've still been really, really steady, which has been kind of incredible. Interesting. Would you say that fulfillment is half of the business now, screen printing or more or less or what? Screen printing is still the, the king of the castle, if you will. But, uh, you know, so much of it feeds into production uh, that, like I said earlier, it's it's where our, our business is, is sort of getting primed to, to move forward. And that, that very much includes print on demand and, and hybrid solutions and things like that. Sure. You, you, you talked about your building before, and I know, Stephen, you guys bought your building too. What was the thought process around buying that building now versus just leasing? I mean, it, especially with more growth, and you said that, you know, the fulfillment side's full. Do you feel like that was a good play? I mean, we were just chatting with Drew at Real Threads at the, at the previous episode, and he was talking about the, the pros and cons and how much you invest in the building that you can put that towards equity of the building. I mean, what, what was the, just the, the process of, of deciding which, which route to go? In our previous location, we had just gotten to the point where like, everyone was so on top of everyone. Um, boxes were everywhere, stuff was everywhere. We couldn't really manage incoming or outgoing orders. Like if I had um, a band on tour and let's say I had like 25 boxes going out to them for the start of the tour, like our whole loading and unloading bay was completely full. 
So like we, we needed to get out of there. Um, and then when it came to like looking at, you know, renting versus buying, I think it was more just for selfish reasons. Like we just wanted to like own our building so we could do whatever we wanted to do um, instead of renting where you needed to ask permission. You needed to make sure that you had like specific things set up. Was it the right move or not? I still feel pretty good about it, um, mainly just because of the property value and, and where our building is, is located and how, you know, over the next couple of years, the property value will increase. I don't know if this is like our forever home. I, I, I don't. I don't think it is. In fact, I think if anything, like in the next two years, we're going to have to split fulfillment and production just as that continues to grow. So that's in a, a more suitable warehouse space. Um, wow. That's also that we're, we're trying to like tackle, you know, as bigger goals or bigger pictures. So, so as you guys are gearing up, like you're, you're tackling fulfillment, e-commerce is huge. Are you like when bands actually start touring again, you know, are you guys going to have like a, another fast of the business that handles like the in-person stuff or, you know, is that something you guys were doing before um, or getting stuff out to tours? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we've, you know, we, we built our business off of like working with bands. So sending stuff out to tours, that, that was like, that was no problem. We, we did that all the time. Um, in fact, I would say that the only reason our revenue is down this year is because there aren't any tours out. Um, and if there if there were tours happening, uh, we would be this would have been the best year that we ever had. Uh, but even now, without tours, we're probably only down fifteen percent from last year. So we're we're still pretty strong. But in terms of like sending people out in person, do you mean like sending people to tours or just merchandise to tours? Just just in general, I just wanted to know like about the old kind of side of the business, and 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 that makes sense now that you say. That is a part of your business and hopefully when it comes back both are firing yeah and, so. and you know the other thing too is that what works really well when you work with bands that are on tour is that when a tour finishes they typically have merchandise left over so that then gets sent to their web store and then gets sold to their web store um and so like it's merchandise that the band has already paid for so we've we've been paid on it and then they've hopefully already broken even on their merchandise. And so anything that goes to their web store that then sells, it's just like, it's additional money for Gravy. me, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Cool. You've been, have you always, you, you mentioned you were a hundred percent water-based. Have you always been like that? Or what was the chance uh, there? It's been a little over two years. Like it'll be three years in December since we've, we've done that. I love it. I love being able to talk about it. Love being able to, uh, differentiate our shop from other shops because of it. Um, whether that's snobby or not, I'm, I'm still not not sure. Um, but it is, you know, it, it, uh, I've had this this conversation with a couple of colleagues and stuff. It's like when you know a, a print shop can do water base and do it really well, like they're definitely in a in a higher class. Um, but that's not to say that like there are other print shops that I'm not like there that that I am that I'm not envious of. Like I mean, if I can find a print shop that is like super efficient and lean and organized like that's a print shop that i look up to uh and then if like they can do that with water base then it's like a whole other other level interesting did that help you feel like raise prices potentially too or, or was it a little bit more of the art and the quality of the product it's a little bit of all of it i think in general like our shop is um probably on the upper upper tier of pricing like we're, mm -hmm. we're pretty expensive um, but we, 
you know, we, we like to think that we're pretty good at what we do and we handle a lot of projects that a lot of people, um, a lot of shops are, are either afraid to do or, or not wanting to do because of their difficulty. Um, and I think over the past two years of working with Waterbase Inc. specifically, it's pushed us to be better printers um, mm -hmm. and, and just really way better at, at, at our craft. Eric, I saw something the other day, I think it was on one of the Facebook groups, and they're like, do you charge for custom Pantones? Yeah. <laughs> and then Eric said, no, zero dollars. But yet, you guys are on a top tier of pricing. For is sure. That part, is that part of the all-include? People were like ripping, and I'm like, and, and you're just kind of yeah. like, that's our differentiating fat. I mean, th that was an example of it right there, but tell us what's going through your head when, when, you, when you see all of that. Cause that's, that's literally, I think what you just talked about. Yeah. I mean, it all just goes into like, your customer doesn't care what it takes to make this product. Like they don't care how much, like how, you know, why, why, why they'll, they'll see a charge and say like, what is this extra charge for? Like to them, it doesn't matter. So it's like, if we can bake it all into our pricing and believe me, like I'm far from the smartest person in any room ever. So like, this is all just me theorizing and I have no clue, like if our, uh, you know, if our pricing is accurate, if we're, well, we probably spend way more time on ink than most other shops ever think about. And whether that's like doing uh, like R and D on it, like swatching, like whatever, like, we, we have two people in a dedicated ink room. All they do is pull colors, build colors, swatch colors. That's literally all they do all day. And because we're using water-based, it's not RFU colors. It's not ready for use. So we're building everything custom anyway. So for us, it's just like, well, if we have to build a specific Pantone to get what our customers' expectations are, that's what we need to do. And really making sure that their expectations are met that's the goal uh, because like we don't really do any advertising. Our customers advertise for us. So if our customers are really stoked on what they're getting, then that's, you know, exponentially better for us. Yeah. I think it's interesting because when we go to like shows and listen to theory of like, you have to charge for a screen fee and a setup fee. And that also takes time from the management side to try and account for all of that. And I think like the fact is you guys offer a premium service, you charge a fair bit for it. You're comfortable as an owner. So you just don't care, you know? Yeah, I don't know if it's us being lazy. I mean, it's the same thing as I was saying about fulfillment. It's just, it's easier. It's easier for anybody to step into an invoicing situation and not have to remember that they have to charge for A, B, and C. It's just, this is the price. Sure, there's gonna be like, you know, extra charges for the specialty ink or, you know, we charge fees for like setting up the press, like changing palettes for a sleeve print or I don't know, a special location or something like that. But I mean, that that's, there's just extra labor in changing over the palettes. Whereas for us, we're already building the ink. So it doesn't take that much more time to figure out the right Pantone. But I say that fully knowing that there are days when we spend like four days building one Pantone color to get it like spot on precise uh so you know i'm just full of shit for the most part too so. <laughs> uh you implemented profit first right yeah what what triggered that and how's it been going so i i'm you know not the most astute financial person and i was just really tired of like week after week month after month just like having to move money around constantly to make sure that like this bill was paid 
even though like I was going to be late on this bill and then I'll have it paid next week, et cetera, sure. et cetera. Wait, Eric, no. when was this in your business though? Was it recently or what? Like, no, we've been profit first for maybe like a little under two years. Okay. I think. Um, I heard about it from, I think it was Richard Greaves. Like I, Night Owls is part of uh, Mark Kudre's like catalyst coaching stuff. And so I heard about it from there and was really, really interested um, in it because like it, it was doing or it was mirroring things that like I was already doing to some extent in terms of like putting some money aside from every, you know, every revenue transaction uh, just so like you had some savings for taxes. Um, but Profit First really gave us like a structured way to to do it. And right away when I learned about it, I bought the book, I, I read it and immediately knew like, I'm not smart enough to like do this. I'm going to hire a Profit First accountant. And uh, so pretty much since day one, we've been working with a Profit First accountant. And, uh, you know, that coupled with like our clientele and what we can do is really like what made it so we had no problems during the past couple of months. Like we had plenty of money to just like keep us afloat, uh, which mm. was like, pretty, wow. pretty awesome. That's really incredible. What what was it? Was, was it the reinvestment aspect? Because when we had Mike McCallowitz here uh, for the Print Hustlers Conf two years ago, he was really talking about that that model where you just are reinvesting everything back into the business. And because of you as a business owner, you know, you're just so, so invested in the growth of it. Um, but you don't take enough aside for you, aside for the business and so on for the future. Do you think that was a symptom of it? Or were there other things that triggered yeah. you to adopt it too? I mean, we, we've been pretty good over the past couple of years about like setting a salary for, for myself and my wife, the owners, and, and paying ourselves like a salary. Um, but up until Profit First, it was very much like very modest salary for, for what we were doing. And I think when we started doing Profit First, it really helped section everything out and kind of make things clearer to where okay, we're good. We know we have money set aside for taxes. We know we have money set aside in this, you know, this profit first account or this vault account. And, and you can see it growing and it's, it's pretty exciting. Um, you know, I think even now we're, we're probably, we're doing really well, but we're running into a, a weirder problem. And Steven, I don't know if you've run into this or heard other shops that profit first shops that are doing it, but at, we're, we've grown our business to the point now we're like, we're almost like taking too much money out. Because uh, you need office. more cash. You need more yeah. cash in the cash yeah. register. Yeah. And, and honestly, yeah. I, I really like what we do. And so for me, I don't, I don't need to have, you know, five Teslas in the parking lot. I don't need to be going on like yacht vacations across the world. So like, I like coming into work and, and I don't have a extremely like lavish lifestyle. I, I like getting iced coffees in the morning and I like, uh, you know, going, to different places to see friends every once in a while. But otherwise, like I live a pretty low key life. And so we've been running into problems where like our owner's pay has been like so significant that we don't necessarily have enough uh, to make sure that all of our bills are paid or that that the like equipment growth that I want in the company is like taken care of. So like for a while I was like foolishly like taking out of owner's pay uh, and then just like paying the mortgage on the building. So because uh, I had like too much money and I was like, well, I'm going to just reinvest it back in the business. So the building is paid down faster. So we just own that like free and clear. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if Steven, you've, you've run yeah, it. I wish I had that problem. Um, no, 
I we started profit first, um, probably uh, December or so, um, and we use the same one that that Justin from Barrelmaker and Jared uses, um, and Bruce, you've talked to them a little bit. And so um, for us, one of the goals was buying out one of my partners, which we successfully did uh, recently. But my other business partner was like, hey, why don't we just like build up our cash so we can do fun things and then take that out. So we haven't, we're starting to get to the point where we're like, how much money do we want to keep in the business um, and how much money do we want to keep for ourselves? Um, because you don't know when the next issue is going to come. So I wish there was almost a part of profit first where it was like, let's set a goal to try and keep, call it a million dollars in the bank. Just sure. so you can just float that. But the other thing um, that I was talking to someone about, and they're like, this all comes down to cash flow, I think is what it really comes down to, is like managing your cash flow and knowing like the bigger clients you have, the more accounts receivable you're gonna have, right? Like we took on a couple of huge orders that was like a quarter million dollars in AR. And like I had to tell my bank, hey, I'm gonna get paid in August. Um, but we were still making profits, so we weren't in debt or anything. So. Do you think, Eric, it's also like working with a bank to understand lines of credit and when to use it? Or do you think it should just be your own money? Like, I always feel bad calling on my line of credit because I'm like, yeah, I'm like I, going I, broke. So we, we hired, um, we hired someone to be like our, uh, like an operating officer for us who's, who's been sort of like, give me more guidance than that. Because like, I was sort of the same thing, whereas like, I don't want to pull down from my line of credit, rather just like keep cash in the bank. Um, and, and I was advised that we should not do that. So it's more like, I think, I think Profit First is a really good tool to help get strong foundations and like systems in place, but it's not the end all, like be all system. I think I think you sort of need to modify. And what I'm seeing a lot too, and, and I get into a lot of arguments, maybe arguments, maybe disagreements is better uh, with like our accountant is that she is very much like a principal of Mike McCallowitz and all of his books and theories. So like, she wants us to be like a clockwork type business, which is the book after Profit First. And all that's great, but like that doesn't really work into like my lifestyle. Um, I, like I said, I like coming to work. I like being in the office. I like seeing things get made. I like seeing things go out the door. So I don't need to be on vacation for nine months out of the year or out of the office for nine months out of the year. And I think that if that's your goal and that's what you want to do, great. Like Profit First is a great stepping stone to get there. But for me, that's not my idea of how like I want to run my business and, and sort of like the goals that I have in my life. So taking a step back and realizing that Profit First is just a really good like tool to, to build a foundation and then I can expand however I want from there is has been really helpful. Yeah, so Eric, like you talk about Profit First, about Mark's um, Catalyst program. You guys are obviously like a pretty big print shop. When when did you realize you needed help or like what advice do you have for younger shops that might be fearful of paying into something that's probably pretty expensive to get that help you need? Because I think there's that barrier of like when it's like admitting you need help, the denial period, whatever that is. Yeah. That's a pretty hard thing to do. I mean, for me, like... I, I'm, I think I'm pretty good at recognizing what I do and don't know. And for the most part, there's a lot of things like I don't know. So it's really easy for me to try and like get help, but it's finding the right people to help. That's, that's always a tricky thing. Like I know I'm not necessarily the most astute or like the best at like the finance side of, of things. 
Um, and so it's, it's not my strong point. And so I am like a really big believer in delegating tasks that like, I'm not good at to people that are good at them. Um, and, and even in the past couple of months, we've been trying to hire people. The main goal has been like hire people that are much smarter than I am in that specific subject. And as long as like I can collaborate with them and they can help us understand why we need to do A, B, and C, um, it's just going to strengthen everything else. And um, I don't know, in, in terms of like when to do that, I just say like the sooner you can, the better. Like it's just going to make, and you may not agree with every little thing and that's fine. But as long as those ideas are floating around, it's going to start making you into a better business. I know like right now in Catalyst, I've been a Catalyst member for probably two and a half years. I probably don't use it as much as like I should, but it really helped us like figure out specific things in our business that I think have, have put us on a path to being hopefully successful for a while. I mean, putting in like, uh, like do you guys have minimums in your shop, Stephen? Uh, yeah. So, so we don't yeah. particularly have minimums. We have dollar minimums. So like any screen printed order, it's a $300 minimum. If you want one shirt, $300, like doesn't matter. That, that's our minimum. You know, there's going to be some exceptions. Like if it's a 12 color sim process job and they want one shirt, like that's not going to fly. But you know, otherwise if they want 10 shirts, it's 300 bucks. Like, and, and so even a little simple rule like that has just made it so like our cash flow is so much stronger. Taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. All right. Like, so, Noted. That, that makes really good sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like, I don't know. It, it just starts, you start valuing your business a little bit more. And with what we do and, and the quality of work that we put out, you know, it's, it's really important for us to like have that mentality too. You mentioned a couple of things here on the financial side. I've been writing down a couple of questions to come back to. Mm -hmm. um, the first one was you talked about the owner's pay. I mean, Anybody I'm sure listening is like, well, why not just decrease the owner's pay to put more into the business? Was there a reason why that was a difficult decision? I was just trying to follow the rules of profit first. So, uh, <laughs> to, so just the percentages, Bruce. just following the... Yeah, and, and so even now... Because like, it does protect you, right? I mean, that is the goal is to protect you from keep putting stuff in like that. Yeah, and, and you know, and I recognize it wasn't the best solution, but it was like at the end of the day, if I have... Uh, a payment for our mortgage that I don't have any cash in, in our business uh, operating expense to do that. Where is that money going to come from? If just seeing like, you know, I don't have any cash to pay our mortgage note, but I have tons of cash in my personal account. And as a, an owner of not only the business, but also of like our holding court for the, the building, like if I don't pay that note, it's coming out of my pocket anyway. So like, I'm just going to get taken care of. But we've since sure. gone and updated like our percentages with profit first. So now like there is an automatic deduction before any of the taps are done. So like we have a specific amount. Um, we do our taps every week. So we have a specific amount of money that gets set aside before anything else for our mortgage to make sure that's not a, an issue. So you also talked about hiring a COO, was it? Was yeah. that a full-time role, a part-time role? Uh, it's part-time. Um, I think it's okay. I, I, do you know, um, his name is Jeffrey Paul. He worked for Ryanet for, for a while. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, um, he's in yeah. Facebook groups a lot. Yeah, yeah. Now he works for a company out of Korea called Young One. And so mm -hmm. um, we've been friends for a while. In fact, he's like part of the reason why we have rock equipment. And so 
Val and I have, uh, you know, known him for a bit. We, we trust him. Uh, he's grown up in this industry. His parents owned a shop in, in Waco. So he's been printing since he was like 12. He is much more astute in that area than I am. And, uh, and we asked if he would, you know, help. So for him, I think it's much more of like uh, a pity or passion project, if you will, because uh, he's got a full-time job that is, if you ever get a chance to ask him about it, it's incredible uh, what they do. Um, so for us, we're, we're much, much smaller than, than what he's doing mm-hmm. full-time job. Um, but it's, it's really helpful. So you mentioned that he said, well, you talked about having the money in the bank. And then you were like, oh, no, no, no. Like, it's probably not best. You should, I'm assuming, put it to work. Can you tell a little bit more about that? Is there a certain dollar amount compared to revenue that it's like, okay, this is the cap, put the rest to these, or, or what, what, like, what were you saying there? He was saying that like, instead of having this like money, like sitting around, let's put it to work. So like, if, if we need to pull money out for unexpected expenses or whatever, then, then we're, we're pulling it out from, you know, from our line of credit, as opposed to from money we put away in our profit first account or a savings account, uh, because like, you know, like Steve, like you were saying, a lot of a lot of our customers too, um, we're still having to front stuff. And when it comes to fulfillment, you know, monthly bills for our shipping only is anywhere from like fifty thousand to a hundred thousand dollars in postage alone. And so, like, we still haven't quite figured out the magic way to collect on demand for those payments. So, like, the way it works in our shop right now, and it's far from the best way to do it, is that we just we bill at the beginning of the month. And that's for the previous months, like services and postage. And as everybody knows, typically our clients are pretty good about paying within five days on those bills, but like sometimes it might be a month. And so we're sitting like, well, what do we do? Do we pay this credit card with money we have sitting around? Do we use a lot of credit? Like it's just sort of making those those types of decisions. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, and then you also said that there's an end goal or, or like, this isn't my goal, right? Where like, we don't need yachts. You don't need five Teslas, only four. Um, <laughs> one, one hundred percent, yes. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, have you thought about what those goals are? And, and maybe not because it is kind of confusing, right? Like, yeah, you don't really necessarily know 20 years down. Um, but some people say, yeah, I want to build this to sell it. Or some people say, I want to work myself out of a job so I can be here maybe a day or two a week. What, what is yours? Um, I, I've always been really terrible at sort of kind of figuring that sort of futuristic uh, like situation out. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, it's, and I think it's, it's different too when like, when you, you have a business and you treat it as a business versus like me, where like my job is my hobby. I, I pour myself into it. I love learning about screen printing. I love learning about fulfillment. I like everything that I do on a day-to-day basis. And I, I don't have a specific end goal. I, you know, it'd be great for um, my company to grow without having like myself or my wife like here every waking moment. Um, but unfortunately, we're not there yet. And so... The short-term goal for us is to like get to that point where it's like I can come in four days a week and be fine, mm-hmm. instead of having to come in seven days a week. You know what I mean? Um, and again, like I'm, I'm not complaining about it because I don't I don't mind it. Uh, but yeah, that that's that's our short-term goal, and we're even ten years in, we're we're just we're not there yet. Sure, well, I appreciate it, Eric. I always like finishing up with a question of understanding your 
struggles or, or what, what you're thinking about? What do you feel like your biggest concern is right now that you're thinking a lot about? Um, I think for us, it's always a question of sustainability in terms of like, can our business sustain in the way that we're operating right now? Can we continue to exist the way that it's operating or, and, and if not, where do we need to be so that it can operate better, more efficiently? Um, that's, that's, those are questions that I, that I contemplate all the time. And I think it's like my, probably like my main drive as a, as a business owner in this industry is trying to figure out how do we effectively make our business more efficient in, in every aspect. Um, yeah, and, and I have no, no, uh, no great answers because it changes so often. <laughs> That's awesome. Eric, thanks so much for being able to join us. It's been awesome yeah, to be able me. to chat, catch up. I'm excited to be able to get back out there. Um, I don't know about any Texas trade shows anytime soon, but um, either <laughs> or I'd love to see uh, Fort Worth, like ISS was happening up until like, it was supposed to, ago. but I, yeah. I don't know if anybody, <laughs> I mean, look, I, I understand from their perspective, like the shows are the revenue source, right? So it's like, you're trying everything to, to make it a safe environment for people. Um, so I, I don't, we did our first virtual show at uh, Sports Inc. So that wasn't actually bad. We were able to meet people. It, it was, it was, uh, we were able to have good conversations after. Obviously, if you're a buyer looking for stuff, it's a bit hard. But I think that like that you guys in, in Printavo in general have been doing a really good job of like trying to make sure that people are sort of like informed and, and staying like abreast of, of what's happening. And you've sort of built this like perfect platform to, to sort of do it. Um, you know, it's like you have the software, which is great, but you had early on already started building some sort of a community. So like being able to expand on that and then offer like, you know, whether it be the podcast or, or interviews like this or, or even doing like the, um, you know, the, the hustlers like con and stuff online. I think all that stuff is just really strengthening uh, kind of where, where you guys stand in the marketplace. So it's good. Yeah, I appreciate that. Appreciate that. I feel like we've got a ways to go. But it's, it's a community effort. I mean, I think 100%. Printavo has customers like Night Owl and Barrel Maker and people that you guys have been there since, you know, day one almost. <laughs> And, and I think we're all growing together, which is pretty cool to see. And I, I hope down the road we can laugh about when we had to do a whole year of virtual fun because it's turned into a thing where we want to see you every year in Fort Worth. And it's like, you know, we can't do that right now. It'll come back. At least eventually. like I mean, with things like this, it's still giving other people insight into different shops that like they may or may not know about. Yeah. You know, the three of us are all pretty active in terms of the different different groups and, and, and sites and stuff like that. So like, we generally have a pretty good idea of like, who's in the know, but, or, or, or you know, whether it be different shops or different people, um, where a lot of other people may not, they don't, they're not maybe as fortunate or they, they're, they're still too young to like sort of know or network with those people yet. Um, so I think this gives like really good insight. I saw the the real thread post um, uh, from last week and I was gonna actually listen to that today. So I'm, I'm excited for stuff like that. Uh, and I think it gives like, Conversations like this also give more insight into topics that people, you know, if I just met you, I'm not going to necessarily ask, but like, how are your finances? Like, what kind of, you know, what kind of financing system are you using? So I think it's a more, like, a more candid way to get to know shops that people look up to and like what they're doing or what they did 
to sort of like get to the next level um, because there there isn't a roadmap and now it's more exciting because there are facebook groups and there's you know different uh consulting people to talk to and, and stuff like that but i know when i started screen printing uh there was just there was the shirt board and i would go on there and be like i've got three screens i don't know what mesh count means uh and why isn't my white printing and that was it you know what i mean where now there's like how many freaking facebook groups that just handle that same question so yeah <laughs> crazy yeah 100 percent yeah, I appreciate the transparency, Eric. It's been awesome. We'll definitely have to catch up as far as an update with uh, how you got organized, and especially on the fulfillment side and the growth in the future. Sounds good. Cool. Thank you, guys. Have a nice day. You See too. You. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.